Thank you, Amy. Thank you, band. Appreciate uh, you, Alex, leading us into a place where we can say, okay, let's open the word, and that's what we're going to do. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. If you have a child through grade four and you'd like them to be in children's church, they can head out right now. Their teachers will help them get down there. Just follow the herd. They'll show you the way to go. For the rest of you, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in your copy of God's Word, it's good to be together. Fun day today. Just to remind you, tonight is our uh, annual coffee house where we start the season getting into the spirit of the season. And we'd like to invite you to come. 6.30 it starts. It is a Grinch gift exchange. And so you can see that in the, uh, in the bulletin. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Just uh, plan on being here by 6.30 tonight. We'll have a great time. Time of singing hymns and, and uh, uh, Christmas choruses together. Just a, a real fun time of fellowship. I, I'm looking forward to it. I hope that it is a blessing to you too. So... Uh, we are now coming again this morning to the 16th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians and really our last section as we have worked our way through this entire letter. And we've given this, this section of this chapter uh, the handhold instructions. This last section of chapter 16, of course, will not only include instructions, it's going to include special people and greetings. It's going to have some guidance in it, some acknowledgments, some commendations. Just a typical ending of Paul's letter, so full of things, examples for us, and benefits uh, as we see uh, life lived out in a way that the scriptures have prescribed uh, what that ends up looking like from heaven's perspective. And so I enjoy these endings of Paul's letters. They're so full of things that are so uh, important for us. And Paul is going to do all that, and then he's going to end this letter uh, like he does other letters with his last invocation, and then uh, we will move on to his second letter that we have in our copy of God's Word. And it's all going to include all those things. And we could just label the whole thing just getting personal because it gets really personal with the people he knows. It gets really personal for us. And so it's going to be a blessing. So as is our habit, turn in your copy of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 16, we're going to pick up in verse 15. We're going to read to the end of this chapter and then go back and study verse by verse as we've done all the way through this marvelous letter. So it starts out, now I urge you, if you uh, are reading New American Standard, you'll see it word for word, as that's what I'll be reading from. If you need that, that you can find that in the chairs in front of you. Uh, otherwise, I'll give you some verse cues, and we'll stick together in whatever copy of God's Word that you use and you memorize and read every day. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for the ministry to the saints. Verse 16. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, Acacius, or Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. Verse 18, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord. With the church that's in their house. Verse 20, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Verse 21, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Verse 24, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. And Paul finishes with, amen. One of the things that I think about as I think about our home, and I'm just talking about the Parker household, is what people can know about us, or rather, what we're known for. Have you ever thought that? 
uh, most obviously in our immediate neighborhood, um, but of course on a much broader scale than that. Have you wondered what your home was known for? You know, uh, what do people around you think when they think about your address or your home? Maybe you're one of those with great grass. And so when they think about your home, they're thinking, man, I wish I had a lawn like that guy. You know, or maybe because it's this time of year, the Christmas decorations, they're like, man, I would never decorate my house so gaudy as that, or, or wow, I wish I could do that, or whatever it is. And you know, maybe you're the guy who never rakes his leaves and lets them blow into someone else's yard. You know, don't be that guy if you're that guy, okay? Um, you know, maybe you're the guy who always keeps to themselves. Maybe you're the quiet house and nobody ever hears anything. Uh, maybe you're all his children play instruments house, you know, drummers and marching band and bagpipes and all that kind of stuff. You know, maybe you grew up at a house like that, you know, so everybody knows that you're your kids are musical. Hopefully it's more than that though. Hopefully it's, um, you know, maybe you're the helpful neighbor. Maybe your house is known for lending a hand uh, when one is needed. Maybe you're known for your hospitality. Maybe people around you know that you use your home to host people and your neighbors know you for that. I've often wondered about that and, and our desire, of course, as a Parker household is to have a good reputation in our neighborhood. Of course, with five drivers in the home, I'm sure one of the things we're known for is the number of automobiles that are constantly parked around our house with, between sons and friends and girlfriends and fiancés. I'm sure most of the people think, among other things, that it looks like a used car lot, because that or I'm running a mechanic shop out of my house or something. But because of those thoughts, I really enjoy the beginning of this passage. Did you catch it? If you look at verse 15, he says this, Now I urge you, brethren, and catch the words, you know the household of Stephanas, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for the ministry to the saints. What was their household known for? The ministry to the saints. That's what their home was noted for. That's a pretty wonderful plan, isn't it? And a way to spend your life and the focus of your family. And now Paul was you know, pointing this out. That's pretty important, I think. Uh, it's, it's substantial for a number of reasons, and we'll look at them, but... If you remember, the Corinthian church was a pretty self-centered church. I mean, everybody had something to say, and everybody thought that they should say it whenever they should think they should say it, and they were known for their rudeness to each other, and their rudeness to Paul, and their rudeness to Timothy, and they didn't care what the community around them thought about what they called their freedom in Christ to eat meals offered to idols or whatever. They didn't care what, the, what uh, circumstances resulted from that. They just did whatever they wanted to do. Uh, they took each other to court. They demanded satisfaction from one another. Uh, they weren't concerned about open morality, even among the saints in chapter 5. And, and Paul had to remind them on more than one occasion, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, you know, all things are lawful. You know, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, uh, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So we were just reminded them, you know, you have to be concerned about what people are thinking as they look on. And some were just always thinking about themselves. They'd come to fellowship dinner and they'd just eat with the people they liked and bring the best food and just eat it all up themselves. We saw that in chapter 11. And they'd come to communion and they wouldn't wait on each other. And, and then we saw as we moved on to chapter 12 and 13, they had spiritual gifts and they were just a show, they thought, uh, of how spiritual or unspiritual they were. And so uh, depending on what the gift uh, was that they could demonstrate would just depend on how up, high up on the totem pole they were in spirituality. That's what they thought. And in the meetings, you know, we saw in verse chapter 14, along with all of that, you know, more than one person at a time is standing up and more than one person at a time is bringing a message and somebody's got a word and somebody's got this. And they're just kind of standing up in the middle of the, of the, of the service and just saying what they wanted. And, and, and we've been through all of that. And, and so I would say that, that many of the households 
in Corinth would be known for lots of things and they wouldn't be that great. And so on the tail end of Paul reminding the church here of his five commands to them that we saw beginning in verse 13, uh, that we, you know, we don't study and we don't learn these things in a vacuum, that these are things you need to be known for. And, and so we went through, as we started in verse 13, we went through life management, we went through maturity, and then we went from motivation. In verse 14, Paul says, let all that you do be done in love, right? And, and it's certainly expected by the Lord, that, and that would just seem obvious, I think, that a believer's desire would be to live out in front of others what we learn and whatever it is that we do for the kingdom, our desire would be that we do it best in our living, right? And how it works its way out day to day. Because as we've seen many times, if our faith is to be believable, there's got to be some behavior that flow out of our faith. And the fruit of the Spirit really, this fruit, this let all things be done in love, really is the indicator of spirituality. As we saw a couple weeks ago, you can't be served on the side like ranch dressing. I mean, it is the center ingredient of the Christian life, mixed in. It's really very simple and very easy to understand, not necessarily to put in practice, but certainly to understand. But the way love works and how it acts are really disciplines. We're going to see this again today. I mean, and, and we do it, and, and as we do it, it's going to take work to change the way we've always responded. So naturally, as a new believer, even as a believer who's been one for a while, your first response, unless you begin to assimilate these things, will not be love. It's going to take work to change the way you've always responded. And we desire, I think, corporately to see these things evident in our lives. And when they are visible, then they're evidence of the Spirit's control, see. Because they bring personal will, they bring personal desire and emotion and impulses and speech under divine priorities. And they direct, then, the subordinating of those things, our desires, our impulses, our emotions, our speech, to his control, we want, as followers of Christ, I think, to move past shallowness. I think everybody's in favor of that. Superficiality, Christianity as it's always done, okay? Just, it's a nice veneer on the outside that looks good to everybody. Or it's padding around your life to make sure the world doesn't get too close and you don't get bumped by the world too much. You know, Christianity as it's always done are those things, really. But Christianity, as the Bible describes it, are, is much more than that. That all that you do be done in love, that's Christianity. Starting at verse 13 and 14, really, you could sum up, if you would, if you just looked at those five commands, if you had that visible in your life, that could be the summary of what it looks like to be a believer. And so, you know, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and as it expanded on love, of course, it, it was a reminder that we are in a place that can lead us from an undisciplined life to one where we're useful for the master's work. And the only way that's going to happen is these verses then become true as the Spirit sanctifies us. And one of the great joys of this study, as least it's been to my own life, is to see these things begin to take root and blossom in your life, see? Because they're not the kinds of things that unbelievers do. And if you want to be sure of your walk with the Lord, and I can't even tell you how many people have come up to me, I'm not even sure that I'm saved, and my response back is, well, how are you obeying the direct commands of the Lord? Because they're very clear. Everybody wants to know what the will of the Lord is, and he's made it very clear in a number of places. This is the will of Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice, with all, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. What's the last part? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And there's tons of passages like that. So the bottom line is the way we're responding to those kinds of things is we know them make our salvation clear to those who look. See? And only the people, I would say, you could say this kind of categorically, only people who have incorporated the first spiritual fruit of love 
can actually accomplish anything for the kingdom or build anything, if you will, that's going to last in the Bema Seat Judgment. And so Paul starts with that. And I said all that to say, as we move into verses 15 through 18, we're going to see examples of people who are doing that very thing. And I think that's how Paul wants to kind of wrap it up. He's going to bring some examples forward of what it looks like for love to have shoes on, if you will. So Paul says, look at verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints. It's always helpful to have a good example to follow. You might say, okay, I, I want everything that I, I do to be done in love. So what's that actually look like on a daily basis? Well, here's one example. The household was known for what? The ministry to the saints. Now, this is not a household that excluded everything else. This is a household just like we see in Matthew 6. The Lord knows you need things to wear. He knows you need something to drive. He knows you need a place to live. He knows that you need all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And part of seeking the kingdom of God, we obviously understand, is to let all things be done in love. And then the household we saw of Stephanus is a household that's known for the ministry to the saints. Now Paul had a lot of words to say in blame to the Corinthians, but now he finds some among the Corinthians who he can hold up for admiration. He can hold up and commend them and say, look at this household of Stephanus. And, and the example of love is this household is known by their ministry to the saints. They are examples of what believers should be, for they've devoted themselves to Christian service. And the verb case and tense and voice help us understand, listen, they have set themselves. Okay, it's not that they just decided they're going to do some ministry. They have set themselves as their purpose. This is the kind of life they have chosen, here's a way to know, understand it, altogether. So an overriding business of this household is that they're always busy about what? Ministry. This word is also used in the trades as kind of a background to the word. It's used to refer to someone who's setting themselves up in business to serve the public. So if you're a baker or a builder or a potter or an attorney or, or whatever you are, you're setting yourselves up to serve the public. You hang your shingle out, if you would, and say, okay, I'm here to serve you. That's the idea. See, they've set themselves up. It's not just something they're doing just on the side or whatever. They're known for it. And that's what mature believers who are walking in love do. They find a place where they can serve the saints. And just as a footnote, listen, beloved, this is, this is fairly prevalent in the modern church that maturity is always measured by how many Bible studies you attend. Okay? And I think that you've probably heard that. But I would propose to you that regularly meeting together for the study of the word is important, and corporate worship model is certainly very clear, and we've studied that as we've gone through this letter. But I would, I would say with surety to you that maturity measured from a biblical perspective is setting yourself up to serve the saints, okay? You can set constantly under Bible study and never minister a single thing, and you'll never get men, you, you would never be mentioned here in the Word of God had you lived in that time period. But I'll tell you what, you can take the corporate worship and uh, the corporate meeting together in the Bible study, and you take that and you put shoes on it, and you go start doing it and serve the saints, and then you're going to get mentioned. That's what maturity looks like, see? It's the serving of the saints. It's love with shoes on. And there are so many illustrations of that. And we've studied that topic over and over, even in the last few months. But, but listen to the writer of Hebrews as he talks about it. He says this, therefore, and so you can see the same problem, okay, even in the first century church. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. Now, he's going to define what maturity is in just a second. Let's press on to maturity. 
Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and obstructions about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now listen, those things are all important. And they are part of the assimilation that you understand who you are and your position in Christ. And in fact, without the gospel presentation, you wouldn't be a believer. So the idea is this. There are some basic elements that continue to be taught in Bible study, and they are important. But Paul says, listen, we're going to have to move past that at some point. And this we will do, he says, if God permits. And it's not that we're going to turn away from corporate teaching. It's vital for maturity. But the writer goes on and says in verse 9, he says this. But beloved, we're convinced of better things concerning you. Better than already good things, right? There's some good things about that Bible study. There's good things about the laying uh, that foundation and understanding those things clearly. There's good things there. But better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we're speaking in this way, for God is not unjust so as to forget. Mark this. Mark this, okay? Your work and the love which you've shown towards his name. So work and love, how is it shown? And having ministered and in still ministering to whom? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We're going to move past the basic elementary teachings and the constant Bible study, Bible study, Bible study all the time. Not that those aren't important things. They are. But maturity is measured how? In moving past those things and putting it to work in your life, in maturity it's serving the saints. See. Then he says this, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you'll not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Listen, model after. Like, like Paul just said, listen, what was Stephanus known for, the household? Ministry to the saints. Of all the people he had to criticize in Corinth, he found some people. We're going to see a few more in just a minute. And he said, listen, okay, I'm going to lift these guys up. Here's what maturity looks like. Here's love at work. They set their household. Their household is known for that. Don't you want your household to be known for that, parents? Guess who sets that tenor? You do. For ministry to the saints. Maturity isn't measured by how many Bible studies you attend, beloved. It's measured by how well you minister. Now, just a little background on this family for, for some context, and then we'll move on. We've heard of the household of Stephanus before, haven't we? When we first started this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized any other. I love that part of Paul's sermon. Um, we know at the end that he's writing it in his own hand, but you know his, his, his secretary... And he wants us to sitting there beside him. And you can see Paul writing. And then, you know, so he said, yeah, but it was also this guy. Remember, you did this one too. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, and I did Stephanus. And, you know, this is, for me, that's fun. I, you know, because I don't remember everybody I've baptized all my life. And I, I don't feel so badly because Paul doesn't either. Okay? So they say, hey, uh, you remember, you baptized the household of Stephanus. And now we have additional information that they were the first fruits of the province of Achaia. So he's referring to a providence that includes Corinth and Athens. And we know Paul got started there. Uh, coming in by himself, remember, and he, he, he started preaching, he preached in Athens, and he declared to them the unknown God. You remember all that? Just a fantastic passage. And then he moves over to Corinth, and he starts in the synagogue, and then they don't like him, and they kick him out. So he moves next door to, uh, to, to, the, to the leader of the synagogue's house. So he moves just one, one house over and, and deposits himself there and begins to teach. And then the leader of the synagogue comes to faith, and all these people start coming to faith. And so we understand that Stephanus and his household were one of the first people who were uh, changed by the teaching of Paul and came to faith because of the gospel. So this, this is the province he's talking about. And then we've seen that word first fruits many times before, have we not? So we don't have to go into it again. It just indicates what 
what happened to this family was the indication of the harvest that would come. So the household of Stephanus was just one of the first who came to faith, and there'd be many others who came to faith, and they would be like them. And so that's kind of the background. So this family can be and should be an aspiration, and we can certainly you know, view it that way. But I also think that the indication here again is that this is how normal believers behave. So it's not, this is not some super family, okay? This, this is a normal family, indicated by their actions that they're mature and they're walking in love and they're setting themselves to ministry to the saints. Now look at verse 16. Paul says this, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And there are really two parts of this verse, and so we'll break it into two. And, and that first part really has to do with a guide for the church. It says, um, be in subjection to such men. Now, this is what Paul is urging them to do at the beginning of verse 15. You say, I urge you, brother, and then the parenthetical statement, you know, the household of Stephanus, and they were the first fruits of Achaia, and, you know, they, they, uh, have, have, uh, they're known for the ministry to the saints. So he puts that parenthetical statement in there, but I urge you, brother, and then, he's, then if you skip that parenthetical statement, it says, be in subjection to such men. So that's what Paul's urging them to do. And th the verb, though, is in the subjunctive mood. Remember that? That's the verb of some uncertainty. That's some contingency that maybe this is not going to be the case. And we can see that by Paul's language. I'm urging you to do this. And that seems to follow, right? Well, you know, whether they're going to let themselves be brought up under that leadership or not, obviously with the attitude of the church. And that's why Paul says, I'd urge you to do it. The attitude of the church is very self-centered. But here's this, here's this family that I'm holding up as an example. And I urge you, Paul says, to bring yourself into subjection to them. Her church is to hupotasso. We've seen that before. Come up under. That's a military term, of course, where troops are put under the command of a leader. But in a non-military application, it is the voluntary attitude of giving in, if you will. So the essence of the command is this. When you see serving going on, follow and do likewise. Or let yourself be brought up under that leadership. So as you look and you see leadership, he says, and they are serving, do that. That's a great example to follow. And so Paul extends it to everyone. The church sees doing the same thing. That's why he says, you know, he says, and to everyone who helps. And he says this to a church where each wanted their own say and each wanted their own way and each wanted their own thing. And he says, hey, try being a servant. Bring yourself up under one who serves. And then the second part of the passage uh, has to do, again, with what love looks like. And Paul says this at the end of verse 14, that all you be done, be done in love. So Paul refers to what love looks like again. First it was Stephanus and his household who have set themselves to the ministry of the saints. And then this next part, everyone who helps in the work and labors. That's another example of what it looks like to walk in love. See? Helping in the work and laboring. This is love with shoes on. If you're, you, if you're taking notes, back of your bulletin, you'll see these things underlined. These are your answers, your takeaways for today. Helps in the work. That's only one word in the original, sooner geo. We've looked at this before, over and over again. We see this word constantly in the New Testament. That's where we get our word synergy. So the idea there is, and we've looked at this before, the idea is of someone who just jumps in and helps. They're not waiting for an invitation. They see something going on, something needs to be done. They jump in and do it. That's love with shoes on. That's what it looks like. That's an example of what it looks like to do, let all things be done in love. And yet, you know, even though we've looked at this type of command so many times, there's still people in the modern church who do nothing. <laughs> They'll watch a huge operation going on and not sign up and not do anything. See, it's just so, <laughs> I don't want to be them in the BBC judgment, okay? I mean, this is just very clear, okay? And then this word labor. So everyone who helps, this labors, kupiao, 
Again, this has to do, we've seen this over and over again, growing weary or tired or exhausted. So it seems that the sunergeo has more to do with the approach. So when you see something needing to be done, you just jump in, and then the kupiao has more to do with effort. So when you jump in, what kind of help do you bring? Believers who jump in and help, believers who work hard to weariness. This is what doing all things in love looks like. This is one of the examples Paul uses when he says, listen, if you want to look like this, and you're asking yourself, okay, what does it look like to let all things be done in love? Then he, after cr criticizing many in the Corinthian church for all these things that they were doing, he finds a couple and just says, listen, these people are people that you need to keep in your view. These are the models for you to follow. These are the people Paul commands the church to submit to and to mimic these are part of the commendation he wants to talk about as he gets very personal with the church. And, and here's the thing. It shouldn't surprise anyone that Stephanus was not the only one in Corinth that was acting like he should. Okay, We've seen numerous times where letters were brought to Paul and word was come, came to Paul from people. Hey, how do we know if somebody's spiritual? Remember that? I mean, we're seeing all this stuff going on. Can you explain that for us, Paul? And the letter was written to Paul. Answer some questions for us. And so, you know, there's, there's a number of spiritual people there. So Paul now, in his very personal approach to the end of this letter, Pull some of them out. And so I think part of the, you know, the point of the previous verse, everyone who helps and works and labors, indicates, I think, that there are more than just Stephanus. So look at verse 17. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Three men who are examples to follow. Believers from Corinth, and again, Paul's been very critical of the goings-ons at Corinth, uh, but here are men that are an example to follow. And then the next part of the verse, here's it. This is so sweet. Listen to this. Because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. And again, I think we have another example of love with shoes on. Number three, people with love with shoes on are thoughtful and generous. People who are doing all things in love are these kinds of people. It's not a super, you know, sometimes superman or superwoman. This is just what it looks like to operate in love. And it would have been very contrary to how the majority of those in the Corinthian church typically looked at salvation and how they had to live their life. And so here's the deal. He says, listen, they're thoughtful and generous. These are the people who fill you up. The, verse, uh, the verb has to do with filling up to the full. That's what the word means. Anapleruo. It's an agricultural term that has to do with irrigating. That's where it comes from. And so, uh, you know, I grew up where crops were irrigated out in central Arizona. Not a lot of rainfall, 10 inches of rain a year fall from the sky, so not much, not enough to grow crops. So in, in my lifetime living there as, a, as a, uh, a young man, there's this thing that came through Arizona called the CAP, that's the Central Arizona Project. It was an Army Corps of Engineers project, and it brought water from the Colorado River 362 miles away all the way to Tucson in a canal system. It's pretty cool. I remember when they dug it through and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so it came through close to where our property was located, and then went on in towards Tucson, and they made a big reservoir. And I remember hopping on my motorcycle with my brother and just riding out towards it. It was a couple miles from our house. And you didn't have to get very close to it to see it. It was completely full. And we were talking a trickle of water down the bottom. And we're talking about a huge canal, and it was filled right to the top. And you didn't even have to be close to see that it was full. That's the idea Paul's talking about. It, it, they filled that canal up. They kept the reservoir full. And so that word that Paul uses here comes from this. These guys were the kind of guys... That's what it means that they supplied. They were the kind of guys that knew how to fill someone up. Now, it doesn't mean they were wimpy. It doesn't mean they were waifs, we, because we saw all that, and all that was mentioned in verses 13 and 14. They had to be strong. They had to be on their alert. They had to be, act like men, be courageous, all that kind of stuff. And they also knew how to encourage, see? 
Here's what it didn't mean. It doesn't mean they were a drain, okay? There's plenty of people like that, too. And as I, I think about that, and that whole idea of these guys showing up there, I want to remind you something. Do you remember the Toy Story movies? If you've got kids, I mean, you remember watching these a thousand times. Maybe you're still watching them right now if you've got little ones. What's the song you remember from the Toy Story movie that was the one that really resonated with you? You got a friend in me. Okay, I mean, how hard is that? Everybody loves that song, right? Remember the words? You got a friend in me, you got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, just remember what your old pal said, boy, you've got a friend in me, yeah, you've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me, you've got a friend in me. You got troubles, then I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and we see it through because you've got a friend in me. Some other folks might be a little bit smarter than I am, bigger and stronger too maybe, but none of them will ever love you the way I do. It's me and you. And as the years go by, our friendship will never die going to see it's our destiny, you got a friend in me. And that song was hugely popular, written by Randy Newman. He won a, uh, he was nominated for a ton of awards for that song. And everybody who heard it felt exactly, I think, the same way about it, right? It just had that expression that everyone needs to hear from time to time. And perhaps you can imagine, you know, these three guys walking in and saying something like that to Paul, right? You know, in the midst of all the criticism and all the unkind words and all the slander from, from Corinth towards Paul, constantly coming from different, different places, you know, and all the loneliness and the discouragement that comes in pastoral ministry that pastoral ministry brings with it. You know, these guys walk in and say, you got a friend in me. You got troubles and I got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We're going to stick together and see it through. And they walked in and they provided Paul with, with whatever it was that the, church had, the Corinthian church had overlooked whether it was material things or whatever it was, they showed up and it made the difference. Know anybody like that? I sure do. I know a few of the other kind, too. And you know what? Paul dealt with them in other parts of the book, but not here. Now look at our last verse for the day, and we're going to start to wrap up. And the last of the examples and the last of the acknowledgments, and, and Lord willing, we're going to finish up 1 Corinthians on the 10th. So next week we will finish this passage out and we'll look at some specific greetings and then his final blessing and we'll be done. And then we'll have two weeks for Christmas messages around the Gospels. And so I think the Lord has really guided our track, as it were, to get us to the point where we're going to be done with this book and move into uh, Christmas and then on into the new year in 2 Corinthians. So look at verse 18, if you will. So he's still talking about um, these guys, but again, I think we see Another example of what it looks like to walk in love. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. And that word refreshed, that's the same verb that Jesus used in giving rest to those who labor and are heavy laden. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Remember that verse? Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's the same word, refreshed. And here's the fourth example of love with shoes on. People who do all things in love are those who encourage and revitalize other people. And you know people like this. That you spend some time with them, and they boost your flagging spirit, and they recharge your batteries. They're the opposite of the draining kind of people. They're the opposite of the constantly finding fault, something to complain about kinds of people. See, 
You won't find any place in the scriptures that celebrates those folks. But you'll find lots of places in scripture that celebrates the other kind, the encouraging kind, the revitalizing kind, the building up kind, the filling up to the full kinds of people, the household set to the ministry of the saints kinds of people. You see lots of folks like that. See, see lots of folks like Proverbs 25, 11, and 13, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Know anybody who does that? That's a blessing, isn't it? Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his master. It's not snow in the kind of time of harvest. That'd be a mess. It's the fresh, cool breeze when you're hot and sweaty. That's the idea. You want to be like that? Then you're desiring a good thing. You're going to have plenty of opportunity to be a refresher. And you will be modeling love with shoes on. And you'll be the source of encouragement to any number of people. And again, beloved, these are disciplines, okay? This is not going to be your first response if you have not adopted what the Word of God says. Listen, if you think you have to chase down every single fault, you still haven't understood what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about, which says covers faults. Love covers faults. Love bears long and hopes all things and believes all things and endures all things. See, you, you still think you have rights. When in matter of fact, you gave up your rights, didn't you? And you adopted what Christ said to do. This is hard to do, see? You have to desire it, first of all. Okay, I'm going to put on love. What's that look like? Well, I don't get to define it. I have to look at Scripture and see what they say. They're disciplines because being, they bring personal will, and they bring personal desire, and they bring emotion and impulses and speech and learned responses under divine priority. Listen, this will apply to your marriage, beloved, to one another. And it's going to apply to the corporate body of Christ. It'll apply to how you deal with your kids. It can apply to how you deal with one another. If you keep bringing up false, back, back faults, listen, you're not walking in love. Don't kid yourself, okay? You have to define that. The way it works is you have to adopt what the scriptures say. This is what it looks like. This is what love with shoes on looks like. They're going to direct the subordinating of our desires, of our impulses, our emotions, our speech. Because if our faith is to be believable, there has to be behavior that flows out of our faith. And we don't get to qualify that behavior. Like the household of Stephanus, they devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And as a footnote, you know, that example does not preclude your ministry of evangelism, okay? Just, just to make that clear. There's plenty of opportunity every day for the Great Commission. And mature believers witness but mature believers also encourage, they revitalize, they're thoughtful, they're generous, they jump in and they help in the ministry of the kingdom, and they do it to the point of weariness, and they devote themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's what it looks like, okay? It's not that we don't witness, but our main emphasis is what? The ministry of the saints. And then Paul finishes this verse with this command. Look back there if you would. Therefore, Paul says, acknowledge such men. Again, this is guidance for the church. The verb is in the imperative now. It's not like an option. Paul says, do this. In other words, tell them. Let them know that you recognize that they're doing it right. 
When you see that happening, when you see somebody who's their household devoted to the ministry of the saints, when you see someone encouraging, when you see someone refreshing, when you see someone filling someone up to the full, when you see all of that revitalizing and all of that and thoughtful and generous and jumping in and helping in the ministry and working to the point of weariness, what are you supposed to do? Not only are you supposed to submit to those leaders, you're also supposed to let them know they're doing it right. You recognize what's going on. Follow Paul's example. He says, let them know. Don't be fooled into thinking that ministry is just about teaching or listening to teaching. That has its place, okay? Corporate worship is important. It's modeled for us. But we could be like those Paul told Timothy about in 2 Timothy 3.7. Always learning and what? Never coming to the knowledge of the truth. It's not all about learning. It's coming down to putting it to work and serving the saints. And what we want to do is have our households known for that, like the household of Stephanus. That's the example. That's the aspiration. A normal family who've committed themselves and set themselves to that. And what we want is to have our households known like that. And, and I'll tell you, beloved, and I'll just be honest with you, the, whether or not the future of Berean is profitable for the kingdom purposes will be to the extent, catch this please, if you haven't listened to anything else I said, that we figure out how to be like the household of Stephanus. Okay? Regardless of how you've acted in the past, our future, and whether or not we're beneficial to the kingdom or just going through the motions, is going to be dependent on how well you and I individually begin to model what it looks like to be mature. Okay? Let's just be real about this. Because the Lord doesn't give us his word for nothing. And starting in verse 13, if our faith is to be believable and we're going to be effective for the kingdom, there has to be some behavior that flows out of that faith. And we're not going to be able to do things like we've always done them. We're going to need to be watchful of our lives and in doctrine. That's what we saw in verse 13. And alert and seeing what we need to see in our own lives first. Looking around. Being taught to observe and see what's there that shouldn't be there. And aware of the wiles of our culture, not forgetting about our adversary, and knowing what the word says, and what it means by what it says, and then what's the last one? And doing it, okay? Not just be knowledgeable of what the word says, but actually do what the word says. As you read in your quiet time every day, and I encourage you constantly to do that, you will see commands for you, and you should be immediately asking yourself, that's the interaction with the word the Lord expects, am I doing these things? And when you say things that the Lord says do not do, you should be looking at your life and saying, am I doing these things? And this is how this works, beloved. And then replacing fear with courage and bravery and walking forward and doing what the Lord asked you to do and waiting on the Lord. And we saw last time, delighting in him so that we be truly strong with spiritual strength, see? And obeying his command to love and defining it in the way that he does and letting it permeate everything else we think and everything else that we do. And then following the examples of Stephanus. Fortunatus and Achaicus. And our effectiveness for the kingdom will fall along those lines, beloved. And so let that be our prayer today as we close. Would you bow with me? Lord, I thank you today for an opportunity to be in your word and to about finish up this marvelous letter from Paul. And Lord, there's been so much here for us, uh, so much by way of, uh, of correction and so much by way of a guard against falling into things. So we both, we both get the correction and we get uh, the, the opportunity to avoid mistakes made by this church. And Lord, you're the one by your Holy Spirit who apply this to our lives. And as I pray constantly for you to do that for me, I pray that you will do that for this congregation, that they will be able to clearly see exactly your meanings here and, 
anything that I've done to mess up that communication, that you'll strike that from their mind, but they'll be understanding what your Holy Spirit would say from this word. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity to teach it. It is a small part of what goes on here, but not the main thing. The main thing is the ministry to the saints. The Fontas was noted for that. Not for all the Bible studies he attended, not for you know, whether or not he, he sat on a board or whatever. It was his ministry. He set himself to it. He set his household to it. He taught his children that this is what real life is all about. And in living the life, help us not be caught up in the life. Help us be in the world and not of the world, as she told us in uh, Paul's letter to, to the Romans. Not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. These are disciplines that we'll need help with, Father, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, and that you'll help us be, be wise and be able to see what we need to see in our own lives that are keeping us from this, consistently uh, applying these principles as they become part of the fabric of who we are. That that's our prayer. That's to be the kind of people we're known for. And whether or not we're effective for the kingdom in the future will really depend on whether our lines fall along these lines. We don't have to do it like we've always done it. And Lord, I thank you, as Paul uh, brought up here at the end, I thank you for all that are doing it right. I thank you for all the households who have set themselves to the ministry of the saints. Thank you for the blessing of that. Thank you for the Stephanuses. Thank you for the others who are examples of what it looks like to refresh and refill and, and fill up to the full and encourage and, and are generous. Thank you for all of those folks who do that. As Paul said in his letter to Thessalonians, but help us do it all the more. Help them to do it all the more, Father. And thank you for this day to come and the fun we'll have together and, and the fellowship of the saints. Thank you for the variety that's here of all the different backgrounds and all that, that we can walk in love with one another, even though in the world, apart from salvation, we might never be friends and might not even like each other. We love each other and desire to be together and are together when we have opportunity. Thank you for that. Thank you for all that will happen uh, this afternoon and evening to illustrate that. Lord, we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.